Listen, if you dare, to the Lovecraft tapes. Bernard stands up from his bent position, having just tamped down the loose earth over the grave of old Helen Mary Chisholm, who passed away only last Saturday, and stretches until his back pops loudly like a log knot in a campfire. He's been digging here at Gate of Heaven Cemetery for more than a few decades, and his spine often feels as if it belongs to an older man. Not that 53 is exactly young, but these days it is barely considered middle-aged. He grins at that. Middle age. What a quaint concept. With modern medicine being what it is, he'd be surprised if 20 years from now, 53 might be called puberty. Right now, though, looking out over the expanse of grave sites, he feels more a kinship with those underneath the ground than with those walking upon it. Inevitably, his gaze drifts to the horizon, past the expressway, toward the distant glimmering river, directly to Squantum Point, and the gray mansion which stands like a sentinel upon the blasted white rock of the dead peninsula. The sight makes him shiver, as it always does, despite the unseasonably warm autumn weather. Eldritch Poe, he whispers to himself, then feels a flush of embarrassment for having said the words aloud. Reflexively, he glances around to be sure no one heard him. The cemetery is empty except for him, the wheeling seagulls above, and the quiet dead beneath his feet. Satisfied he is alone, he says it again, louder this time. Eldritch Poe, damn your eyes. Then he spits on the ground and turns to gather up his tools. His memories gather too, like unbidden storm clouds. He tries to think of the cold beer waiting for him after work, tries to visualize the burger at his favorite bar, the Brass Monkey, strains to quell the phantoms of the past in his head, focusing on how good his bed will feel after a hard day's labor. It is all for naught. Like thick black ichor swirling a drain that pulls him inexorably to a place he knows he never wants to revisit, the events of Halloween 1980 engulf him yet again. Thirteen-year-old Bernard lived in Providence, Rhode Island all his life, but hardly ever ventured to the east side of the river. Two events changed that. First, he got a new bike for his birthday in August. A sweet 10-speed Huffy from Kmart. It even had a headlight powered by a gizmo that hooked up to the front tire. He found himself pedaling more miles than he'd ever attempted before, and that made him feel alive, independent, indestructible. Second, he'd overheard some older kids at lunch the other day talking about this old millionaire on Squantum Point who left out special apples only grown in his family orchard for trick-or-treat every year at the main gate, and how they were probably laced with drugs or razor blades, and the old dude worshipped the devil because no one had ever seen him in church, and no one was allowed past the gate. Those older kids seemed pretty spooked, 
talking in hushed tones like telling each other ghost stories. Bernard knew if he could get a close-up picture of that house, he'd be a hero. And here it was, Halloween night. He told his parents he was going to Harold Wallace's house in Fox Point after trick-or-treating ended to stay up late and watch horror movies on TV. Only thing was, Harold Wallace didn't exist. They didn't know because they never asked about his friends. In fact, he felt almost invisible to his mom and dad, like they looked right through him most of the time. This year, he dressed up as Darth Vader, knowing the all-black costume would help hide his presence during the covert mission. In his backpack, he stowed a flashlight and the instant camera he got from his grandmother, also for his birthday. Then he set out to do some trick-or-treating along the way. Once across the Washington Bridge into East Providence, he chained his bike to the nearest stop sign and went quickly from house to house, ringing the doorbell, collecting goodies. On this side of the river, there seemed to be more homemade stuff like caramel apples, oatmeal cookies, and little baggies filled with mixed nuts or, in one case, carob chips. Yuck. He pitched those in the nearest trash can. As he moved into new neighborhoods heading south, chaining his bike to a new stop sign each time, the treats became more exotic. A lot more licorice hard candies with Italian names like Glitterati, Fida, and Cannellini Ricci. Bernard shrugged and threw them in his Star Wars pillowcase with the others. Candy was candy. The night arrived more quickly than expected. As he finished up a series of houses in Armington Corner, the porch lights began to darken. Trick-or-treating was drawing to a close. That was fine by him. He needed to complete his mission, then pedal all the way back home. To the southwest, he could see the treetops of Squantum Woods Park swaying in the October winds, pale leaves flickering beneath the full moon, just a few blocks away. He rode in that direction, not exactly sure where the entrance to Poe's property might be, only knowing it was on the point. At the end of Squantum Road, he found the gate. It was black-tipped wrought iron and menacing, closed up tight with only an empty keyhole permitting entry. To either side were high stone walls that designated the perimeter. Placed just outside the gate were three bushels, two of which were empty, and the third holding half a dozen picked-over apples that looked somewhat bruised. Bernard plucked one up and gave it a sniff. The scent was tantalizing. His taste buds leapt to attention and saliva flooded his mouth. Part of him wanted to take the apple and just head home. The other part, though, the part of him that just became a teenager, wouldn't let him wuss out. He wasn't a baby anymore. He was a big kid. Soon, all those other big kids would look up to him in school. Glancing around, he found a shrub behind which he could hide his bike. 
then it was a simple matter to climb one of the overhanging trees and get over that stone wall. As soon as his feet hit the ground on the other side, he knew Squantum Point was wrong. The air seemed stagnant, despite the forceful breeze blowing in off the river, and there was an underlying stink emanating from the soil. For a moment, Bernard struggled to keep down the candy he'd been sneaking all night. His stomach lurched twice, threatening to unload more than a handful of Mike and Ike Tropical Typhoon onto his shoes. He'd never wished for a cool glass of milk more than right this second, and the very thought calmed him. Once his gut settled, he began walking down the driveway. To either side, the shadowy brambles moved like pythons writhing, devouring one another. He tried not to look too closely, concentrating on putting one foot in front of the other. In the distance, the mansion appeared much bigger than he'd imagined. Despite being two stories tall, the walls stretched up and up at a slightly off-kilter angle. The dark windows stared like the bug-infested empty eye sockets of roadkill. As he drew closer, the air got noticeably thicker. He gulped it down like split pea soup, sputtering for oxygen, eyes watering. Yet, he forced his wooden feet to move forward. Somehow, he made it to the bottom of the stairs that led up to the front entry. At the top of the steps, two grinning gargoyles squatted on pedestals to either side of the doorway, almost daring him to ding-dong ditch. But he wasn't here for that. All he wanted was a photograph to prove he'd been here. Carefully, he removed his camera from the backpack, never taking his eyes off the leering statues, expecting them to pounce from above at any moment. Then, squinting through the viewfinder, he pressed the shutter button. The front of the mansion was suddenly illuminated as if by a stroke of lightning. Oh shit, he forgot about the flash. The instant photograph, yet to be developed, ejected from the slot at the front of the camera. Before he had a chance to remove the photo, Bernard watched in horror as the front door swung open and someone stepped forward, framed by bright light emanating from behind. What was that? The man shouted, though his voice was querulous and afraid. Bernard remained frozen, rooted to the spot. He so badly wanted to run, but knew he'd be spotted instantly. He held his breath, hoping a stray gust of wind would not dislodge the photograph still dangling from the slot mere inches from his face. A ship's horn sounded upriver, reminiscent of a dying cow trapped in a quagmire far from its grazing field. The man's head turned in that direction, watching. Blood beat loud and hard in Bernard's lungs, and he wished he hadn't held his breath at all. How long could he last without loudly expelling it? Not long, he knew. 
This would all be over in a few moments. Mr. Poe would call his parents. He'd be grounded for weeks. All the kids would make fun of him and he'd never get to... Without another word, Eldridge Poe turned and went back inside the mansion, closing the door softly behind him. Bernard gasped, filling his lungs with more of the putrid air, gagging slightly but thankful for the oxygen. His feet were already moving back in the direction of the front gate. As he went, he stowed the camera in his pack and stuffed the photo into his back jeans pocket, underneath his costume. The further he got from the house, the easier it was to breathe again. He felt as if he were emerging from deep beneath the sea, rising toward the surface. Just as he was clambering up a tree to hop back over the fence, he thought he heard someone whisper his name from the dense brush near the apple orchard. Bernard, it seethed. See you soon. He needed no further encouragement to throw himself over the stone perimeter, landing awkwardly and rolling away from the front gate. Adrenaline dampened the pain, but he found out later he'd fractured a small bone in his left wrist. He told his parents he'd taken a spill off the bike and that it was nothing, but they still made him go to the doctor who made him wear a brace for three weeks. The tumble also managed to completely decimate his new camera. Grandma was not pleased. But he had the photograph. He actually forgot about it until the morning after. Just after dawn of November 1st, he dug it out of his jeans pocket and took a good hard look at the framing and composition. He wished he hadn't. It was a good picture. Too good. In the photo, the gargoyle statues were missing, their pedestals completely bare. The front door was thrown wide open, but the shadowy silhouette of Eldridge Poe was nowhere to be found. Instead, beyond the doorway was the infinite expanse of space, dotted with star constellations and heavenly bodies not seen anywhere in our solar system, all burning with a sickly emerald hue that exuded disease. The door was bad. The windows were worse. Pressed against each pane of glass was a child, staring out at Bernard, looking directly into the lens of the camera, and they were smiling. Some were waving. All of them were dead, their faces split with decay, and the ragged wounds caused by something terrible, something evil, dwelling within the walls of that mansion. Bernard was sure if he'd seen that photograph immediately after it was taken that night, his heart would have seized immediately, and he would have joined those children. He was grateful for many years that he hadn't done so. He never showed anyone else the picture. He never told anyone the story of his misadventure. And he certainly never stepped foot on Squantum Point again. When he was old enough, he left Providence. 
worked out west for a few years, but eventually drifted back to Rhode Island. When his father died in the car crash, he moved back home to take care of his ailing mother. Got a job as groundskeeper at Gate of Heaven Cemetery. The years moved on and the memories faded, but every once in a while, they lurched to the forefront of his consciousness again, a boogeyman he could never outrun. He was 13 when he became an adult. Now, at 53, he is a middle-aged adult. 40 years and not much distance covered. Bernard finishes packing up his tools, avoiding one last look at the distant blot of Squantum Point and Poe Mance. Time to get home. Mom likes her supper early. He retrieves his bike and prepares to pedal home. For some reason, once he's gone through Armington Corner, he's compelled to turn toward Wachamoket Cove and hop on the East Bay bike path. It's a more scenic route, especially now that the leaves are starting to turn, but he can feel the dark presence of the point at his back the entire way. He's a mile down the trail when he realizes he's mumbling something under his breath. We're all doomed, you know, he says softly, eyes cast down, watching the front tire of his bicycle spin endlessly and he's not certain whether he's talking to himself or trying to convince someone he cannot see who might be hovering just out of sight, following him all these years. The Lovecraft Tapes Podcast is copyright 2020. Support the Lovecraft Tapes podcast and get access to exclusive content and rewards at patreon.com slash lovecrafttapes.